Hey, this morning, how many of you would just agree with me like I just prayed that, that we understand as followers of Jesus that everything that God has given us is a gift from Him? Can you just say that we're right there with that? Yeah, I believe that. Everything that we have is a gift from God. Your health, your life, your salvation, your freedom, your friends, your family, your opportunities. Um, even the things that you work for in life are still a gift from God because God gives us the strength and the ability and the knowledge and the understanding to do those things. And so everything we have comes from Him. And here's the thing. Here's the rub, is that if that is true, then God expects, I'm going to use that word because I believe it's true, God expects us as followers of His to use what He has given us and to make the most of those things, right? And that's what stewardship is about. Last week we talked about the stewardship of affluence. What do we do with what God has given us financially and how do we use that for His glory? Um, And this week we're talking about the stewardship of influence. Now the word stewardship, like we talked about last week, is a Bible term that comes from Old English. And the word stewardship does not necessarily mean money. It's not just about how we use our our money for His glory, but, it, but, it, but the word actually means management. That a steward, stewardship is all about managing what God has given us for His glory. And for managers are stewards, and stewards are managers. And so what this message about is today is this idea that your opportunities, your relationships, your talents, your money, your resources, your intelligence, all those things are to be used for His glory. It's the stewardship of your influence. So the question is, is what is influence? Let me tell you what influence is not. Influence is not fame. Because there are celebrities that we look at their life and we say, okay, I don't want to have anything to do with the way that they're living. And that, so they don't necessarily always influence us. It's not the same thing. And it's not even wealth. Influence is not wealth. It's not about, it's not as if you make more money that, that you automatically make a difference in people's lives. Those things are not equal. They don't automatically come together. So if it's not fame, it's not wealth, then what is influence? Well, Cambridge Dictionary defines it this way. This is a really good definition. You might want to write this in your notes. It is the power to affect how someone develops, acts, or thinks. That influence is the power that we have to affect how someone develops, acts, or thinks. And I'm going to say something this morning that I hope you agree with. That God expects you to be an influence. He just doesn't encourage it, but he actually expect it, expects it. And some of you think, well, you know, I'm not really interested in being influential. And I just want to say you should be. You should be. In fact, Jesus commands it that you use your influence for good and for God in this world. That's why he says in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, look in your notes. Matthew 5, 16 in the contemporary English version says this. He says, let your light shine. So that others will see the good that you do and will praise your Father in heaven. He says, you are the light of the world. And, and you're, you're a city on a hill that can't be hidden. It's, it's not I wouldn't make you a light and put you on a table and cover you with a bowl. He says, no, I want you to shine your light throughout the whole room. I want you to be an influence and to do good in this community. Let your light shine. It sounds like a command and not a suggestion, Right? 
earlier in that passage. He says, you're the salt of the earth. Matthew 5.13 says, you are like salt for the whole human race. Think about salt for a second. What is salt good for? Salt's good for seasoning. Salt's good for preserving. Salt's good for for bringing out the natural flavors of what you're putting into it. And so, so if salts are good for those things, what is God saying about us? If he says we're the salt of the earth, then that means that God wants us to make this world better. Like a little salt makes spaghetti better, right? He wants us to make this world better. He placed you in it to make the world tastier, if you will. He placed you in it so that you would bring out God's flavor in this world. So that people would see and taste and experience our Father in Heaven from the way you live your life. Salt also preserves. Look, you look at this world and you think, man, this world is spoiling. And it's the job of followers of Jesus to make it a little bit better, to keep it from going rotten. And we do that by using our influence, by preserving what God has placed in our lives, by making other people's lives better. The problem is, is that oftentimes we're influenced and we're not doing the influencing. And that's why Jeremiah writes in Jeremiah 15, 19, he says, you're to influence who? What's the scripture say? Them. Do not let them influence you. That you're to be the influencer. It's, it's the difference between a thermometer and a thermostat. What does a thermometer do? Anybody tell me? It takes the temperature of the room. It adjusts what it is or its level to what the room is doing. Now, what does a thermostat do? It regulates it. It sets it. It controls it. It influences. There's a big difference. And God says, I want you. Well, I don't think it's in the scripture him actually saying, I want you to be a thermostat, not a thermometer. But I think it's evident in these verses. He just, it's, yeah, it's the contemporary Jared version. He says, I don't want you to just read the room and be the, become the way the room is. He says, I want you, I want you to influence it. I want you to do good in this world, to be a positive influence, a good influence, an important influence, and helping people to know what's good and what's right. And that's what we're going to talk about today, the stewardship of influence. How do you live an influential life? So glad you asked. I'm going to give you a few thoughts. You can fill them in in your notes as you go along. The first thing is this. If you want to live an influential life, you need to recognize my influence. I must recognize my influence. The truth is, no matter what your age is, young or old, or what you do for a career or what you don't do, the truth is, is everybody has influence. You are far more influential than you realize. You just don't think about it. It's true. Everybody you come in contact with, you have the ability to influence. Your family, your friends, your neighbors, your relatives, people you go to school with, people you work with, your husband, your wife, anybody you come in contact with on a daily basis throughout the day, you have the potential to influence in Jesus' name. You... I said this in the 
in the first service, and I got a hearty amen from Mike in the back. You have the ability to make a clerk's, a store clerk's day, good or bad. You do. Have you ever gone in line and stood behind somebody that was just giving a store clerk the what for, and you just saw their face sink as they're having to deal with this, and some get angry, or some get sad, or some get frustrated? We have the ability to influence, to make or break. We have the influence to, to the ability to influence salespeople, ushers, gardeners, mail carriers, barbers, bankers, the people that you drive next to on the road. You have the ability to influence. Everybody you come in contact with on any given day, there's the potential to influence. And the question is, this is the big question. If you're going to influence every person you come in contact with, then what kind of influence are you going to be? Good or bad? Heavenly or hellish? Right or wrong? For Christ or not for Christ? How will you influence? How will you use the influence that God has given you? God wants you to think about that. Galatians 6 4, Paul says this in the message. He says, Make careful exploration of who you are and the work that you have been given. And then sink yourself into that. He's saying, think about it. Explore it. Be careful of understanding what God has placed in your life. Be careful with it. We all know the story of Moses. If you haven't written or read about it, you may have heard me preach about, written about it. Yeah, it's Sunday morning. My mouth is, is leaving me. You may have seen the Disney movie, you know, Moses is being raised by the, the, the Pharaoh of Egypt and he kills a, a guard trying to protect a, a, the, one of the Israelites who is actually, he is one of, and he realizes his life is in danger and so he runs into the wilderness, right? And he, he runs from Egypt and, uh, and while he's there, he begins making a new life and he gets married and he has a profession, he has a career, he becomes a what? Anybody know? Becomes a shepherd, right? And and one day, the scripture tells us that, that in, in Exodus chapter 4, that one day he's out tending the, the, the flock and, and he sees a burning bush that's not burning up and it's the, the presence of God. And, and God begins to have a conversation with Moses saying, hey, I'm about to send you back to Egypt because I've heard the cries of my people and I'm going to use you to rescue them. And Moses begins to argue with God. and says, whoa, 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 whoa. I don't want to go back to that place. I'm wanting for murder there. You can't use me. I don't have the ability. I don't, you got, there's somebody else that's better suited for this job other than me. In Exodus chapter 4, verse 2, God asked Moses a question. What we know about God asking questions is that when he asks questions, it's for our, our purpose, not for his, because he already knows the answer, right? And so he asked Moses a question. You can see it in your notes, Exodus 4, 2. And he says, he looks at Moses and says, what's in your hand? Moses says, it's a staff, right? They use a staff. A shepherd does to tend the sheep, to keep them going in the right direction. It's his tool of trade. And God says, he says, throw it on the ground. Anybody, does anybody know what happens when he throws that staff on the ground? What, 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 what happens? What does the scripture say? It becomes a what? A snake, a serpent, right? And then God says, now pick up that snake. So he reaches down and he picks it up and it becomes what? 
a staff once again. And so he's revealing to Moses, he's saying, hey, I'm going to do miracles through you. You may not believe it, but I'm going to do miracles through you. And it's going to begin with what you have in your hand. That staff that Moses is carrying represents his identity. Who he is as a person. He's a shepherd. That's what the staff represents. It represents his income. Right? That's how he makes a living, by tending sheep. It represents his influence, his ability to influence the things around him. And God says this, Moses, if you'll give me what's in your hand, if you'll give me your income, if you'll give me your influence, if you'll give me your identity, I will use it to do great things. I will empower it. I will make it come alive. I will do miraculous things from what I have placed in your And it's that staff that when he's in Egypt and he thrusts it into the Nile River, it becomes blood. It's that staff. It's that staff that when he waves it over the Red Sea, it parts and he walks across dry land. It's the same staff. It's the same staff that when he strikes a rock in the desert, what comes forth? Water. It's that same staff that God said, I will make great things happen through what's in your Hand. What's interesting is that after this moment of, of God's empowering, it's no longer called Moses' staff in the Scriptures. It changes its name and it becomes what? Does anybody know? The Scripture calls it the rod of God. Now that'll preach. It's the rod of God. It's no longer Moses's. It no longer belongs to him. It belongs to the Father. And he uses it for his glory and to perform miracles. And he asks us the same question. What's in your hand? And if you will give to me what's in your hand, I will use it to do great and miraculous things. Give me your business. Give me your family. Give me your talents. Give me your relationships. Give me what's ever in your hand. Give me your intellect. Give it to me. Give me your freedom. Give me your health. Give me your influence. And I will turn it into the rod of God and I will do miracles. The first step to living an influential life is to recognize the influence and the ability that God wants to place in you to do great things. Here's a second thought. Is that you have to exercise that influence you got to exercise it. Influence is like a muscle. You either use it or you lose it. You know, muscles, if you don't exercise those muscles, atrophy sets in, they begin to waste away, and it can't be accidental. It has to be intentional. So how do we do this? How do we exercise, exercise what God has given us? I'm going to give you five things, and they're going to ramp up in in. in 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 the amount of effort we have to place in these things and and how hard they are in our lives. And the first thing is this. You want to exercise your influence? Just simply, you can start with doing this by just smiling at people. There's just something about the smallest and kindest word, a simple smile that can make a difference in somebody's life. Look at this scripture I put in your notes. Proverbs 15.30 says, A cheerful look does what? It brings joy to the heart. 
Have you ever experienced that before? Have you ever been on the receiving end when you're having one of those days? And sometimes it's just a person in a store, a clerk, or a neighbor, or a coworker. They just smile and they say something kind, and it just changes the very outlook of that day. Has anybody ever been there? It's the simplest thing. And it doesn't take a ton of effort. But it can make a huge difference in someone's life. It's a simple smile. Here's the second thing. It's a little bit harder. You do it by sympathizing with people. Showing emotional support, encouragement, and care for the people that God has placed in our lives. 2 Corinthians 1.4 says this. He says, God comforts us every time we have trouble. So, when others have trouble, we can comfort them with the same comfort God gives us. Look at the, the equation here. God says that, the scripture says, Paul writes, that God comforts us, right? He shows us mercy and grace and brings peace into our lives when, we, when we're struggling and going through difficult times. Why? So. Now, so's aren't suggestions. So's are, are, are kind of requirements. They're, they're the other part of the equation. So, when, so we can comfort them with the same comfort that God has given us. God does this. So when we see other people going through or struggling through the same thing that we've been through and feeling the same pain that we have felt so that we can do the same for them. It's like a cup. God doesn't fill our cup with comfort so that we can just devour it for ourselves. He fills it overflowingly so that we can pour it into the people's lives that God has given us to influence. It's called sympathizing. There's something about sympathy, about letting other people know that we care, that opens the door to influence. If you're like me, there's a lot of people that that you care about that you never let know. Sympathizing is doing something about that. Sympathizing is, is letting people know you care about sharing your heart and, and, and getting in. It's, it's actually doing something. It's not just feeling but it's acting on that feeling and it's writing a note. It's really simple. You know someone is going through something and so you just take a piece of paper, you write a note and you hand it to them at church or you send it in the mail or you post it on Facebook or you give them a call. You do something to say, I understand, I've been there and I am here. I sympathize with you. I care for you. I care about what you're going through. It's not that hard. It's not that hard. It doesn't take a ton of effort. Here's the third thing. It's a little bit harder, a little bit more messy. We do it by serving people. It's pretty easy to smile, right? Everybody give me your smile. It doesn't take that much effort. See, I love it. Cheesy Don, that's a good smile, brother. It's easy to sympathize. Put your arm around somebody next to you. I already see the love couple up here, loving on each other. It's easy. That doesn't take a ton of effort. But serving people starts getting a little bit harder. It takes a little bit more effort. But the more effort you put into this, the more influence you develop in a person's life. In God's economy, 
The greater you serve someone, the greater influence you'll have in their life. Scripture, 1 Corinthians 9.19 says this. It says, even though I'm free of expectations of everyone, I voluntarily become a servant to any and all in order to reach a range of people. When I was a teenager, I think I've told you this before, I grew up in church and I was really committed to my youth group when every Sunday, when every Wednesday, but we were a bunch of bad kids. I wasn't a bad kid, but the most of us were. We probably had six youth pastors in seven years. If you can imagine that, six different youth leaders leading our youth ministry. And finally, when my youth pastor, who I call my youth pastor, who became my youth pastor when I was a junior in high school, Andy Stevenson, when he came in to lead our youth group, as a typical teenager, everybody looked at him and just said, show me. Show me. Now, we didn't say it outwardly, but we said it in our hearts. We said, he said, hey, you know, I'm here. I'm going to be my, your youth pastor. I'm going to care about you. I'm going to love you. And we had had seven other people who said the exact same thing. So we looked at him. We said, show me. Show me that you're going to be there. Show me that you're going to care. Show me that you're going to show up and, and, and lead and, and, and make my life better. Show me. And when you show me, I'll open up my heart to you. It's just natural in life, right? Show me. And he did. He made a great impact in my life. And for 15 years, or 12, 12 or 15 years, he was a youth pastor at that church. And he showed. He served. Here's the truth. If you serve a few people, you're going to have a little influence in life. If you serve no one, you're going to have no influence in life. But if you serve a lot of people, they're going to have a great influence in life. Here's just a thought. Do you want to impress people or do you want to influence people? Like, impressing, if you want to impress people, then you, don't, you keep everybody at arm's distance, right? You don't let people close if you're going to impress them. Because when they get close, they start to see all the warts and all the fails and all the failures and all the other stuff in your life. And but, but when they get close, that's when you can really influence somebody. Warts, warts and all. You have great influence by serving people. Here's the fourth thing. You get influence, you exercise, exercise influence by speaking up. This is a little bit harder than the other three. Psalms 107.2 says this. It says, let the redeemed of the Lord, what? Say so. That's the King James Version. We don't use King James Version in church very much. <laughs> Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. If you claim to be a Christian, don't hide it. Don't try to be some sort of secret agent Christian. It takes courage to be an influencer. Here's the question for this point. What do you need to speak up about? You, you have a friend in your life. You know you're, they're headed down the wrong track. And you've said nothing. Because you think, it's none of my business. And I just want to say, it is your business. If you're a follower of Jesus, and if they're your friend, then you should care. And you should speak up. And you should tell the truth. In Jesus' 
Edmund Burke once said, the only necessary thing for evil to triumph is for good men to do what? Nothing. To do nothing. And I would say the only thing necessary for our culture to go to hell in a handbag is for Christians to say nothing. To just not say anything. Now the question is, is how do we say it? Now we see a lot of people who claim the name of Jesus, who like to talk about how terrible this world is, but they do so on street corners yelling about how evil and terrible and how awful and how God feels about them. And they hold signs that says, God hates dot, dot, dot. And I just want to say that that's probably not the best way to tell about Jesus' love in this world. 1 Peter 3.15 says, Always be ready to give an account for the hope that you have in Christ Jesus, but do so with gentleness and respect. Now what's funny about this is that that is written by a guy named Peter. And what do we know about Peter the disciple? He was called the son of thunder for a reason, right? He was loud. Wasn't he the son of... He was loud. That was James and John. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. Thanks for correcting me there. That's where I'm going with. He was loud and he was boisterous and he was... He, when Jesus was being, be, being arrested, he pulled out a sword and tried to cut off the head of one of the men that was coming to arrest Jesus. That's how loud-mouthed and boisterous this man was. And then Jesus finally got a hold of his life and he says, this is what I've learned. So when you tell people about Jesus, you do so with gentleness, respect, with care and concern. That's what it's like when you speak up. Anybody watch when Dallas Cowboys and, and the Arizona Cardinals played each other on a Monday night? I know you did. I know you did. Um, I watched really early. Because this was the same weekend that all of the hoopla was going on, and it has been going on for quite some time about the kneeling and and uh, for the anthem, and and they had said that that night that there was something you know that both teams were going to do a stance, you know, or, or have some sort of showing during the anthem, and so I watched the anthem, and I really appreciate what both teams did that night. But even better than that was when Jordan Sparks. Anybody know Jordan Sparks, American Idol winner? follower of Jesus, she's holding a microphone and written on the side of her hand because she knew they would do a close-up of the side of her hand while she's singing. She had the verse Proverbs 31, 8, and 9 written. And I'm going to read to you what it says. It says, speak up for people who cannot speak for themselves. Protect the rights of all who are helpless. Speak for them and protect the rights of the poor and need is followers of Jesus, we need to speak up for those that can't speak for themselves, to show care and love for those that can't say those things or who don't have a voice. That's hard. Here's the last thought. If you want to exercise your influence, you do it by, by sacrificing. By our sacrifice, we exercise our influence. Without a doubt, the most influential person in human history is Jesus Christ. And it was because of His great sacrifice it changed human history. He gave His life to influence all of humanity. 
Hebrews 9.14 says Jesus Christ was sinless. Yet He offered Himself as an eternal and spiritual sacrifice to God. That's why His blood is much more powerful and makes our conscience clear. Now we can serve the living God and no longer do things that lead to death. It's His sacrifice. Paul writes in Philippians, he says, My life is being poured out as part of the sacrifice and service that I offer to God for your faith, and yet I am what? Filled with joy. What's interesting is that Paul is writing this letter from where? Prison. His life soon to be taken for the cause of Christ. And he says, I do this with joy. With joy. It's tough for us. Because what it means is if I want to have great influence in life, I can't just live a comfortable life. I have to be willing to sacrifice. There are going to be sacrifices involved if you want to make God's name great in this world. But it's worth it because it changes the world. Hebrews 13, 16 says this. He says, don't forget to do good things for others and share what you have with them. These are the kinds of sacrifices that please God. Here's one last thought. If you want to be influential in this world, you need to maximize your influence. What does that mean? That means we do our best to develop it. We do our best to cultivate it. We do our best to expand it. You say, well, isn't that kind of egotistical, you know, to have to try to get great influence? It's like, no, it's not. You you should want your influence to be great. You should want it because it's not benefiting you, it's benefiting the world. We're doing it not for our name to be great, but we're doing it for Jesus' name to be great. That's why he left you on this earth, right? I mean, as followers of Jesus, it would be a whole lot better if God would just take us when we become his. Because then we'd experience glory in heaven and eternity and all of its glory immediately. But he says, I leave you on this earth for a purpose, and that's to make my name great and to be an influence in this world. We do it for him. We do it for his glory. We do it so that his name would be great and other people would experience his love. And so we make the most of the opportunities that he has given us. Ephesians 5.16 says, make the most of every opportunity for doing good in these evil days. Make the most. Colossians 4, 5 says, make the most of your chances to tell unbelievers the good news. Be wise in all your contacts with them. You say, I don't have any influence. I just say, use what you got. Start using what God has given you. Be an influence to your family. You have your family. Be an influence there. Be an influence in your school, teenagers, kids. You're forced to go there, so be an influence there. If you have a job and you work with people, be an influence. I'm sure someone lives next door. Be an influence. Your husband, your spouse, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, the people you work with, be an influence. 2 Corinthians 10, 13-16 says, The area of influence God assigned to you, to us is to reach you. Now our hope is that as, that as your faith increases, our area of influence may be greatly enlarged so that we may preach the gospel in lands beyond you. 
Paul's saying, I just don't want to stop where I am, but I want us to reach further and to do more for the name of Jesus.